That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! So every now and then I pitched a show idea that's just so incomprehensibly stupefying, I gotta get these people in studio on the show. So joining me today is John Nelson, a former healthcare communications specialist, but a mental health advocate because this guy, this poor guy, suicidal, has young kids and a family, stumbled upon this incredible new technology that you may know already as the listener, but was new to me, and I want to share it with you. Dr. Helen Mayberg is a neurologist and psychiatrist at the Nash Family Center for Advanced Circuit Therapeutics. Yes, you heard that, circuit therapeutics. You're going to find out today how this all works, but the gist is they shoved a bunch of magnets and Radio Shack stuff in John's head, and it cured him of his suicidal tendencies. I'm making light of it. I'm making it sound quick and easy. It's not, but it is extraordinary to learn about. Now, in John's case, it was something called major depressive disorder, and despite all sorts of crazy shenanigans, a process called deep brain stimulation became a cure for his hopeless disease. All that and more, so much more, I, I can't even begin to wrap my head around this technology, this progress, and the hope it gives to millions of people. Enjoy the show. All right, John Nelson, I'm going to start yes. with you. Why can't you just be happy? It's a phenomenal question. I would say for the majority of my... That was a tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Yes, it was extremely <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. For, you know, I'd say major, I mean, my entire life, I've been the extroverted, outgoing guy. I've been the guy organizing the parties. People call me the mayor of my town. It's just who I have always been. You know, externally, uh, I've always been that person. And it's, uh, it's, it's who I am. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm a people person, right? Unfortunately, I I got struck in struck strucken is that the word stricken stricken yeah. I got stricken with um, uh, depression uh, about ten years ago and you know it it didn't wreck the outside of me and so my my happiness on the outside was always there you know it's, it was there and my interior was crumbling I mean that was the the short version of 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 what the disease started to do to me initially it's the fabulous invisibility Dr Helen Mayberg. You've been studying this for a while, and I started my conversation with John based on the um, get over it therapy that life used to be when people just thought you were crazy and things were in your head. What has been your experience for the last couple of years in terms of the awareness that this is a real thing affecting people every day? Well, you know, I've been a neurologist studying depression for about 30 years, and I figured with the first brain scan finding that it's in your brain. It's not in your mind, would be the fast fix to have a change in how people saw this illness as a brain disease and not a weakness of character. And it's 30 years later and we're still at it, despite the fact that we have pinpoint accuracy to be able to actually unlock a shutdown brain. 
So when I hear a conversation about, you know, why are you not happy? Depression's not about just absence of happy. It's more about you are flooded with negative and you can't move away from it. I'm a fan of history. And I look at progress in cancer treatment from a, we now call it mental health perspective, but back then it was called rehabilitation and survivorship. And every time we made progress as a society, it revealed this ebb tide. There's more things to do. My question to, to you, doctor, is are we more prone to mental health challenges today than ever before, or are we just more aware of it? I vote the second, and I think the data really supports it. Take out the stressor of 2019, 2020. Why, something happened? I heard something happened. Okay. I was holed up on the space station and actually... That might have been the best place to be, by the way. Uh, well, it felt like <laughs> Did it the didn't... ISS get COVID? <laughs> so, no um, research that. Go on. No, I think the, the big thing is that when you look at the numbers over time, that the numbers have always been there in the literature, but that we actually are more aware and that actually people come to be able to talk about it in a way that they couldn't. In the same way, people talk about colon cancer and there's ads with a little guy telling you to go get your colonoscopy or get that tested in a way that nobody would talk about it. So I, mean, I think public awareness has changed things. Is it, I mean, I feel like it's easy to just say that, you know, when things were, quote, simpler, I mean, it was never really simple. Like everyone's like, the 80s were so much better. Yeah, for simple toys and Toys R Us commercials, but global thermonuclear war was a real thing. Yeah. You know, hiding under your desk under wood is really going to save your life from a nuclear yeah. bomb. Yeah. So do we have different stimuli today or is the frenetic nature of media and the internet and social media, has that just changed the way our species absorbs, I don't know, stimulus? Well, I think, you know, I mean, this is a bigger meta question is, A, what is depression versus what is stress? There's a big D and there's a little d in some ways. And they're not the same thing, but the word has been co-opted to mean a lot of things. And I think because the society is stressed, we have lots of ways we communicate that stress all the time, that it smears into what is lack of satisfaction with one one hopes and predicts that you're able to do versus what is being hijacked by your own brain so that no matter what it is you want to do and what you could be able to do, you can't. And that's a distinction that I think we're all still having. And I think there's still a disconnect that I think John has experienced. And there, there may be a continuum, but I kind of am a fan of nonlinear dynamics. And you can be moving along a line, and the next thing you know, you fall off a cliff. You know, it's... Um... It's been an, an amazing ride for me through this journey. Being stuck uh, so sick for so long and not really being able to talk about it, you know, just exacerbated the disease. And, you know, trying to stay alive and trying to continue to fight for treatments and nothing worked was my reality. And, you know, most people with major depressive disorder, that is the reality, is you got two options. You're either going to stick through it, suffer in misery, or you're going to take your own life. And those are the two options. That's, that's when you're a treatment-resistant person, that's where you are. 
And I live that daily when I go on message boards and I try to give people hope. Um, it's the same thing over and over. And Dr. Mayberg was the first person to give me a rationale on, you know, I was going, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the surgery, but when I was going in there and, and I said, I just, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't return a phone call. I mean, you called me, I couldn't return your call. Uh, couldn't walk but that's my just because I'm a douchebag. <laughs> Of course, <laughs> that's right. Well, I would at least text you back, right? Okay, great, thank you. But uh, but that level of stuff I couldn't do, and Doctor Maber gave me the kind of medical validation on why I couldn't, because that's that's why the disease is so maniacal. You know what you should do, you can't do it. I should walk my dog, I can't do it. You know, and then you're sitting there and you're in your head. You know, why can't I do this? So it's just a constant mind fuck. Excuse my language, but oh that's come what on, have you met is. me? <laughs> But that's that's what it is, right? Wait, how did you meet each other? How, how did the stars align that you found each other? So the stars aligned. Um, I I was in a second uh, residential treatment program. I like I said was doing everything in my power to stay alive. I had done transcranial magnetic stimulation. Wait, 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 wait. Yes, lots of syllables. Can we back Sorry. that up a yes. little bit? Yes. So transcranial magnetic stimulation, is that what you want? Those syllables, okay. yes. So it's TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. From a doctor's standpoint, you want to give the doctor explanation of what it is? Yeah, what's the Wiki Wikipedia version? It is a method to tune brain circuits through magnetic stimulation applied to the outside of your head. Put a big magnet on your head in the right place, and it seems to increase the strength of how your frontal lobes work. Does it like move the iron filings you swallowed in third grade? <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a good, pro that's probably that's the good. only thing it did for me. <laughs> let's, let's just say it, it didn't work. Because they clearly <laughs> migrated north instead of south. So, so of the many things, you know, all of the uh, different medications, the therapies, I went to a residential treatment program, came home, did something called partial hospitalization plan, intensive outpatient uh, plan, and then I said, can I do this transcranial magnetic simulation? This is one of the latest advancements. This will work. Please, please, please. Wait, was it a clinical trial? Were you no, a guinea pig? This Were you is, a subject? Were you this, with the, like, Dexter's lab, Rick and Morty? Talk us through. It's uh, FDA approved. I did it out of my psychiatrist's office at the time uh, in Princeton, New Jersey area. And you have to go every single day. I went every day for about 30 days. And I was in the chair. It looks kind of like a dentist chair. This thing's up in your head. Zit, 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 goes like that for about every, I don't know, four or five seconds. You're in there for about 30 minutes. I did that for roughly 30 days, which is obviously not convenient. And it was very difficult to get F to get insurance to approve it. Well, and, wait, hang on. Let's yeah. discuss that. Yeah. Insurance fuckery is the endless common theme of everything I talk yeah. about and everyone on the yeah. show. Let's, what were you, did you even have insurance? What was your plan back then? So I, I have, and that, that's the most amazing part of this entire experience for me is I am lucky and blessed to have what you would consider to be some of the best insurance out there, right? And it was horrific. The whole process was horrible. And so when you're, when you're constantly wanting to die every single day and you're trying to stay alive and you're submitting claims to get TMS, transcranial magnetic simulation, and they get the letters back constantly that say you're not medic. It's not medically necessary for you. You want to throw somebody through a wall because you're basically the insurance company is essentially saying we want you to die because that's that's the option. Well, right? that's their job, right? Well, it's it is a hundred percent proof in this spot, and it was infuriating. And so that I think that was the hardest part for me is I was so sick and I was pissed all the time because I'm getting this insurance denial. 
And then I'm pissed about the stigma, right? Like I can't be open up about this because people will judge it. They don't get it. And, um, you know, my, my, my journey quickly to how we met was TMS failed. Once again, I go back to another residential treatment facility about a year after that. And uh, I come out of that. My father is an amazing man, fortunate that he does neurosurgery and he has researched a lot of different things that were out there and deep brain stimulation being one. And he figured out through a friend of his, Dr. Capel, who's the neurosurgeon at Mount Sinai, was the neurosurgeon as part of this trial, made, some, made a call to kind of just speak to him about the, the trial. And um, I got connected to the clinical trial recruiter and uh, coordinator and had an intake conversation with that person. And basically, one of the best parts about nothing working for me ever is that I was considered for Dr. Mayberg's deep brain stimulation clinical trial. That was the pity lab. <laughs> you poor thing. Come on in here now. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker. I didn't get in. And I didn't get in because... Good choice. I, I, exactly, right? I hadn't done ECT. And so... Wait, doc, wait, acronyms. Oh, sorry. Ele- electroconvulsive therapy. Doc? So electroconvulsive therapy is basically rebooting your brain with electricity while you are anesthetized. And it basically gives you a generalized seizure under anesthesia. And in a way that we don't understand, actually reboots the brain. It is actually the best treatment that we have for severe depression. And um, it's been a workhorse for many years. It's much aligned, but it is the most effective treatment that we have, except that by the time you've had four or five episodes or you've failed multiple treatments, we tend to wait to give ECT because when you've been sick a long time or you've had multiple episodes or something else hasn't worked, the likelihood that if you get better, you stay better, is very low. So it works great when it works, but it doesn't last. But the thing is, when you are at the end of the line, when you feel suicidal, when the psychic pain is so overwhelming, and the problem with pain is generally when you have any kind of pain, you work to move away from it. And to be in a state where the parking brake is on and the pain is so overwhelming and you can't move, to be comfortable in any way, you just want to reboot. Wait, all right. Before we go to break, John, how did you manage to convince the insurance companies? What kind of formulary exemption or appeals process did you go through to get that to happen? So for the ECT, once again, oh, so when I did the intake, they said, we can't accept you because you'd ever done ECT. I said, if I do it, will you accept me? And they said the great line, which was, we would definitely continue the conversation. Oh, dear God. And so for me- Again, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt here. Okay. When it's not a clinical trial means we don't know if a treatment works. And when you're an extremist, it's very, very important not to have therapeutic misconception that when you are desperate and you have no options, that this seems like an option that'll work for you. And in our experiments, there are experiments that we require that you fail DCT because it is the most effective treatment out there. And if you've never responded to anything ever, the idea that you might, there's a group of people that actually won't respond to ECT either. So, but it's also proven that even a transient response to a treatment like ECT is a good omen 
It's a predictor that you likely can get better with DBS. So it becomes a way in the absence of us having a map to say, your brain map says you need X or you need Y. In the absence of that, in this treatment resistance state, having people have tried ECT has been important. And we're changing our attitude about it as we understand what we're doing. But at the time John was operated on, that's our criteria. And we have to have permission to do our studies with the FDA. We can't be light no matter how we know by intuition what we think is going to happen with the patient. So let's take a quick break. Um, who's going to sponsor the commercials? The happy pill, the chill pill. Remember the chill pill? The 80s presents the chill pill. We'll be right back. I do. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back, picking up where we left off. John, you're still a hot mess, but you look great. Go on. <laughs> so, thanks, man. So the, knowing that I had to do ECT was phenomenal for me to find out because I knew there was one more inclusion criteria that I had to get past, right? So I, same thing, same exact process happens. I can barely get insurance to cover it. It takes two months to get approvals. I get the approvals. I do 13 rounds of ECT. Why it was difficult for me is I have to have somebody drive me there. I'm under anesthesia 13 times. I don't remember the people that drove me down. Like it, it literally for me, I experienced all of the side effects. I didn't get any efficacy from it. But the positive from all of this once again was I now have an opportunity to get into this clinical trial. Yeah, to take it for the team. Yeah. Just to get into the trial. All good, man. Sign me up. You know, I mean, I was, it was literally living, looking at death every single day or going under anesthesia 13 times, unfortunately having to bother people to drive me down there. I like to do all this myself, right? And I couldn't, I had to rely on people. That that was fraught, really hard for me. Well, that's vulnerable, especially for a, a father and a guy. Yes, totally. Thing. All right, Dr. Mayberg, I'm still stuck on this whole tech support, turn it off, turn it on thing for your brain. How do you know it works? 
Well, again, we have spent many, many years to figure out a wiring diagram that we think is important for all these kinds of symptoms. Negative mood, why negative mood makes you move, and the relationship between your mood state and your movement system in the brain. They're connected. And this is as though the parking brake comes on. It's really terrible feeling, and I need to step on the gas, and I can't. There's nothing moving. My metaphors as I listen to patients is it's like there's a force field in the way. You know, so when someone says, snap out of it, well, you would if you could. You know, it's pretty easy to say just step on the gas and drive, not if the parking brake is on. You can wish it or move it or talk it. And that's kind of the problem. And when you listen to a patient, it turns out that instead of a rating scale, everybody's got their personal metaphor of the state of being in that black hole. And the black hole isn't just sitting quietly. It is drowning. It is being sucked into an abyss. And you're working very hard to actually move yourself past it. So the intention is blocked by the chemistry. It's a little bit of a misnomer of depression as just being a chemical imbalance. It's chemistry within a particular circuit in the brain. And what we've done is pinpointed kind of the convergence zone, kind of ground zero, that all these different connections from parts of your brain kind of meet. And the whole intention is is that instead of ECT, where you kind of like reboot the whole computer, This is going in precisely into a circuit and actually stimulating it there with the idea that you'll affect change at this negative mood spot and you'll impact everything it talks to. Wait, so when someone wakes up after having their computer turned back on, is it night and day? No. So, well, it depends on, are we talking about DBS, deep brain stimulation? Are we talking about ECT? Well, I, either one. I just my, okay. my ignorant question so, is like, do you wake up happy? No. Do you wake up conscious? Like, like no. I hope you wake up conscious. What so, does it mean? So, so again, I'll just talk about what we do with yeah. the DBS because that's kind of what I mean. That's what I do. I don't do ECT. It's not. I'm not a psychiatrist. We do experimental studies of brain circuits. So, we actually don't do this asleep. Do this awake. So that you put someone to sleep to be able to make a hole in their skull, which is about the size of a dime, nickel. and Like a little manhole cover. Little manhole cover. Oh, that was those little mantis got, beams on top I of your got, head? I got two of them. Like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so, radio, but he looks like mantis without the antennas yeah, from Guardians. And, you know, some people, you know how bad someone is suffering when you're interviewing them and they're suffering. And their question is, well, am I going to have a scar? Mm. When I meet somebody who doesn't have hair, and I say I'm surrounded here, that um, you're welcome. That, no, that in fact, no, you can wear a hat if mm-hmm. you can alleviate this suffering. I'll deal with how I look. But again, you know, um, this is having to make a small incision, but to make an opening in the skull, because under millimeter precision, we are going to put a wire into a place deep in the brain. So A, your scalp, your skull has pain sensors. So you're asleep while we do that part. But the brain has no pain sensors, Pain has no pain sensors. I knew that. So what we do is we wake patients up in the operating room so that we can test that nothing bad happens. So going back, you know, 20 years, it'd be the first patient in Toronto 
May 23rd, 2003, that we did the entire thing awake. And even making the burr holes, that's the opening in the skull. I think I've seen these, like where they, they push parts of the brain and like they can't see here and then they slur here and then they exactly. remember things here. You know, you lose, you learn a lot by poking the brain and stuff happens. And some of it's good, some of it's bad when you have to take sections of brain out because there's a tumor, as you know, or there's blood, you know, from a hemorrhage that you're always balancing taking care of the problem and not doing harm. And it's never good to go into somebody's brain. Nobody wants anybody going into someone's brain. And if you're going to go in, There's you want to do- There's a skull for a reason. Absolutely. All right, so John, you go through it, take it for the team. Yeah. You're, you're awake for these crazy things and it, nothing works for you, but you get on the other thing. She drills the holes in your head. You got Swiss cheese scalp like me. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, but so the m most amazing part about the surgery was- I didn't think – I didn't care that it was happening, like the actual surgery. I wasn't worried about it. It was like the same thing of me – like if you were going to the dentist tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the dentist. It was – if anything, I was euphoric for the procedure because I wanted to die, right? I constantly wanted to die because that's the misery of this disease. So for me, it was a positive because if I die accidentally on a hospital table – then my wife gets life insurance. My kids have a dad who died of, a, of an accident and I don't have to suffer. So I had no like, like it didn't even matter to me that the surgery was happening. And I go down um, once I, I say that until the day before when I dropped off my kids with my in-laws and um, they all hugged me. And my, my youngest looked up at me and said, Dad, am I going to see you again? And that was the first time where I was like, oh, man, you know, like, oh, this is, you know. There are I, stakes. I, yeah, I was like, there are stakes. And so, I mean, I, I definitely got a little little nervous there before. But next thing you know, I mean, you, I'd never been in a surgery before. I've been under anesthesia like 20 times last year. I'm like an expert at it now. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, boom, Dr. Mayberg is, hey, John, it's Dr. Mayberg. What's up, Doc? And you're so awake that I think I busted your chops. I think I did a joke. Like I did it. She told me before the surgery, like, make sure you're present, you're present. And I was like, hey, doc, can I tell you something? And she came over. I was like, just when you know I'm present, you know, and so she's sitting there laughing. We're lit literally at my brain. Wait, is that when you poked something and, like he couldn't <laughs> well, see for a second? So, you know, it's interesting. because The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> so in the experiment that the way John did it is we woke him up. We have a team to do an experiment where you actually play a game while you're awake, while we measure the chemical change in your brain as you're playing the game. So we're trying to learn about this area of the brain. Then we actually stimulate your brain while we're doing the chemical measure at a very, very low amount. So in John's experiment, we had him awake doing work, but I didn't actually turn him on in a way like we ended up doing in the lab the next day. But in the old days, what we would do is we didn't play those games and do those measurements. Those are new, very wonky, but really amazing to really know what's the chemical effect of stimulating in that spot. But that- It's like whack-a-mole. Uh, not exactly. Whack-a-mole. Uh, I, I don't like that metaphor. Whack-a-mole with science behind it? No, no, no. So I'm poking you, but when we do the imaging guidance tracking- put the wire in exactly the right spot, then have the patient thinking about kind of the agony and the lockdown, and you do the stimulation, you watch someone over less than a minute change state. 
And it's such a unexpected thing because, you know, I'm fond of saying to every patient, don't read, don't, don't watch TV. Everybody's watched every YouTube video I've ever recorded or every documentary we've made about this. Someone else's experience is not your experience. You need to be in the moment. You know your own state. And if something changes, you'll know it. And I think for John, it's most interesting rather than me tell you about every memory that I will never have until I lose all my own brain cells. The experience for every patient is something you can't describe. And even as the doctor watching it, when you're worried for every patient, is it going to happen? Well, it happens. And I think that John should tell you his experience in the lab where we didn't turn him on in the OR. We brought him to the lab, had everything recording his brain. And actually the first time we turned him on, was in our lab. Yeah, and they do, like during the surgery, you do a CAT scan too, right? So- yeah, there's a machine in the in the operating room. Dr. Capel has a, a way to, to know exactly where he is in the brain by what's called an O-arm. And it's like a poor man's um, CAT scan. So it's, it's this big procedure and I wake up, I do the video game as she's saying, and I, I, I'm you're so awake and so vivid. I actually hear them talking about Dr. Capel, the placement of where they're doing the electrodes, I, I was completely like I was just hanging out here with you guys. I go, I wake up after the surgery. I get an x-ray, go up to my room. Maybe it's probably eight hours was the whole procedure. Slept, woke up. I felt like I had a hangover. That was it. I was discharged around nine o'clock in the morning. And I went up to the 10th floor to meet Dr. Mayberg and all of her colleagues. And it was an incredible experience. I'd, I'd never slept in a hotel room, I mean, a hospital room, so it was quite, in a, quite a, a bad night of sleep for me. But it didn't matter, you know. I'm, they I, don't have the Marriott mattresses. No, no Marriott, no heavenly beds, as I say, right? But it was, so one of the things that I told Dr. Bayberg that I couldn't do, that two things that were just frustrating for me is, you know, I couldn't walk my dog. Like, how do I, how can I not walk my dog? Like, it's, I walk around the block, man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I got to go out for miles. I couldn't do it, you know? And I, and I, and the other thing too is, um, you know, my lovely daughter who is very uh, lucky came with me today. She was born out in San Francisco. And one of the great parts about San Francisco was the IPA, the tacos. I can go on and on and on, but the, um, the fires, we used to have fire pits all the time, man. Like if you were out there, you'd roll over with a six pack anchor steam. You have a fire with your buds all the time. It's, I call it fat dude weather out there. You never sweat. It was incredible. And, um, I built this dope fire pit at our house. I haven't had fire for two years. I haven't had anybody over for two years. Can't do it, you know? And so when, when she turned on the electrodes the next day and she can go over the technical parts of how it happened, but she ultimately is Dr. Mayberg and I in the lab a lot of researchers and people helping with this, but, and, and you have to tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but each electrode would get turned on and she'd ask me a very simple question, which was, do you feel like you can walk your dog now? And then we would, and then take over for that part because you get the more of the technical parts. So we know in advance by the advanced imaging we do, I know which, which contact on the tip of this electrode in John's brain covers about a centimeter and there's four contacts I can stimulate. And each one ha- is almost at the intersection of different roadways. So I actually know from all of our advanced work that if Dr. Capel put it in exactly the right place and Dr. Choi checks it and says it's there, I know before we start what's going to happen or I can predict it. 
or with my fingers amazing with 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 my fingers crossed okay and this is not because i'm so smart this is because we did this over time do one of the electrodes make them speak spanish (laughs) i wish okay i mean you know the problem california comes in handy (laughs) i could help her cheat on her uh her her homework (laughs) so we have four spots on each side we can stimulate and again like i said is everybody's got their own thing they can't do I'm always looking for what's the thing you can't do, not what you aspire to do. What's a regular thing that if something changed, you'd know it? Wait, when you say can't do, you mean mentally can't do? No. Physically? Well, you know, again, what does it mean to be virtually paralyzed? You know, if you have a force field around you, you can keep pushing. And if something's pushing back... What, it, what is that? I mean, that's the metaphor that every patient has their own way of saying. Some people feel like they're being sucked into quicksand. Other people feel like they're drowning and they're being pulled like upside down in a, in a um, waterfall. You know, but there is something that many people notice if they just think about activities of deadly living. I just can't do the basic things. And then someone says, well, What do you mean you can't walk your dog? Well, it's like there's something in the way. Well, why don't you go around? It follows me. Mm. So if you listen to what people actually say, is it a black hole? Maybe. Is it a a tractor state? Yeah, if you're a physicist. it's. But what is it in the real world you can't do? I can't walk my dog. Well, why not? Is there something in the way? Yes. Well, what is it related to? This terrible feeling that I want to be dead. Well, which one do you want me to... To do, give you a, a, a turbocharger so that you can move or take away the dread. Well, if I take away the dread, what will happen? I'll be able to move. Okay. So, so tell me when you can move. So the long story short of this with my Cro-Magnon brain okay. hit is the, that- Hit the spot. No, it's like there are probably other, there are permutations and combinations of ways in which you could zap things the right way. And eventually you're going to hit the right marker where he doesn't have that force field anymore. Exactly. So the idea is we can make a prediction from knowing the exact spot from all of our maps. But the bottom line is our maps don't mean anything if when we turn it on, he doesn't notice a change. Did you have like a holy shit, I can think again moment? So that day I was so tired that and I was so excited, right? The other the other thing, too, is you and I in our business worlds, right? We go to our sales meetings, our business meetings, our annual conferences, and people come in and you're there with everybody. And you realize that you're part of a massive program and a massive team and the amount of researchers that were there to turn this thing on. And, you know, I, and so I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, in, in a great way, I'm just part of this huge experiment. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also very tired. I don't want to fall asleep while she's talking to me. And I, you Which know, is easy. Yeah. People do all the time. And so I did. So, you, so you're just kind of going on adrenaline, right? And, and they literally huddled. After they were done, they get together, they huddle, and they say, you're good to go. Get out of here. And it's, it's on. It's working. And I'm just excited at that point to see my wife and my father and give them great hugs and jump in the car and and nothing like coming off an eight-hour brain surgery and dealing with Manhattan traffic, getting home to Pennsylvania. That wait, so you know my story? (laughs) Let's hear it. No, after my brain surgery, we (laughs) say we're in Manhattan traffic. (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually didn't know that part, but we did literally. We went, and of course, my dad and I, with my head all wrapped up post brain surgery, told my wife to go the wrong way, and so we 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 still haven't lived that one down. But uh, all right. Well, I, what I want to do is take one more break, yep. and we have to do a lightning round. Yes. When we come back, I'm trying to think of a. Remember Happy Fun Ball, the SNL skit? Yes. All right. That's our sponsor. I love it. We'll be right back. Google it. Happy Fun Ball. We'll be right, we'll be right back. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past— And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. All right, happy fun ball. Hope you guys enjoyed Googling happy fun ball. We're back. John, lightning round. I'd like to believe that not everyone is born with chutzpah. It is induced by fuckery. (laughs) And we have a lot of common threads in terms of what we went through. There was a phrase back in the day we coined it stupid cancer, which is not about what you have, about what you have in common. And yes, you were young, kids, job, insurance, relationships, family, things that are difficult when you're well. Talk us through the lightning rod, literally and figuratively, that I can now help other people. You know, I this has been such a wild journey. And waking up from this surgery, from the day I woke up, after they turned it on, it immediately worked. I constantly had suicidal ideation. I constantly felt the poison of this disease all through my body. It was gone. 
I personally have been in remission ever since. And that has 1,000% fueled my fire for advocacy. And why? Because I've uncovered so many things along this journey of mine um, that need to be spoken about. And I mean, I could talk for hours and hours and hours, but, you know, the, the main thing is, you know, the stigma of mental illness is absolutely asinine. It literally is killing people because it keeps people silent. Silence literally makes the disease grow bigger and stronger in people's bodies, and it makes them take their own life. And so we as a society have to open our eyes. We have to become way less ignorant about this being a brain disease. People did not ask for it, just like they didn't ask for cancer, for all the other diseases out there. And there needs to be a lot more education and awareness. And I will tell you that little things that I have learned, I'm a marketing guy, right? You're a marketing guy. When I got out of the surgery, Dr. Mayberg and team said to me, John, you need to rehab your brain. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm, I'm not sick. This is great. And three, six weeks in, I started feeling sad and I plummeted. I immediately started isolating. I immediately started overeating. I immediately um, stopped going to commitments. And it was because I had the feeling of being depressed. I had the sadness. I had the emotion. I sent a, an email to the lead psychiatrist and I said, did you turn this device off? No. You didn't. And I talked to them the next week and they said, you're feeling a human emotion, just like sadness, just like anger, right? Uh, just like happiness. They come and they go from your body. I, and that was an epiphany for me. It was like, oh, that's why there's confusion in society. The name, right? Everybody's had a feeling of being depressed before. That's the emotion, right? It comes and it goes just like the other ones. That's, let's say, on a two out of 10 scale, right? The disease of depression for me, was at a 9.9, .9, and it never, ever, ever leaves your body. That's the difference between the disease and the emotion. So just being able to talk to people in real life and let them know that, you know, these minor insights that I've taken away that I think are going to make a big impact out there, I just want people to, to know that it's, it's a disease. You know, you did not ask for this. There is hope. That's the biggest thing, too, is, you know, with what Dr. Mayberg and her team are doing, if you're somebody who suffers, like I said at the beginning, you, you, you have two options, suffer for life or die. Like, that's it. Those are your options. And, you know, there is a potential, hopefully in the very near future, that this is something that can be out there and, and applicable for folks with treatment-resistant depression. And um, it's just been an amazing to be a part of this ride. My pop culture response is when Neo in The Matrix was plucked out, he said, my eyes hurt. And Morpheus said, you've never used them. Hmm. Dr. Mayberg, with your science hat on, your research hat on, and your human hat on, what is it like to see John today and how all your hard work and your team's hard work has produced a human that is vastly different in the best ways from who he was before he knew you? So I think as a humanist and a doctor, what I can reduce down what we do is we fix the brain, and I return it to its owner. We don't make him somebody who he wasn't. We don't change someone's basic essence. We return you to yourself. If you have the personality, the intentionality of someone, as I've learned to watch John, all I've done is taken the parking brake off 
and gotten out of the way. And that what has been the learning curve for me as a scientist for my team is actually now that we've worked out, you know, 30 years of work on the details, we do the surgery and the rest is rehab. And rehab is a process. If you've been in a pit a long time, you come out of the hole, the light is on and you have to figure out you're lost. You got to figure out where you are. Emotions feel different. You got to repopulate your entire emotional bandwidth and then figure out what I'm going to do because you can do whatever you want. So, you know, I want to make a point about, you know, advocacy. The key is not everyone's going to have brain surgery to be well, but that people need to be matched to the treatment that is best for them. I am crying to hear this story, which I didn't even know about the idea that an approved procedure, TMS, ECT, in someone who has failed all these drugs, that their insurance isn't paying, that is a travesty, is a lack of mental health parity, and everybody should be in jail for actually not allowing people to get access to things that are approved. We struggle to figure out how to get these surgeries paid for. We have donations from the device companies when we are doing experiments, but these are expensive. And the idea that the things that are approved, you don't have access to when you have an illness that you want to kill yourself makes me want to just scream. Sounds like you're out of patience. (laughs) 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 All right. This, I want to do more of these shows. This is fascinating. I don't get to meet a lot of guys that go to my barber, (laughs) that go to my beard trimmer, that had someone touch their brain (laughs) (laughs) and are still here to tell the story. This is astonishingly fascinating, and I love conversations and guests with issues that are gratefully foreign to me, and yet entirely near and dear to what I'm trying to accomplish and what every advocate is trying to accomplish in this country to make healthcare suck less. Dr. Helen Mayberg, neurologist to the stars, apparently, uh, the Nash Family Center for Advanced Circuit Therapeutics. Great syllables. You do great work. Thank you. And John Nelson, badass mental health advocate. I'll take it. (laughs) And awesome marketer. I'll take it. Thank you so much for coming in studio to the show. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. Pleasure. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.